Star Wars Celebration, please welcome your host, Ashley Eckstein! make a girl feel welcome. <laughs> well, I am so excited and beyond honored to be your host for this incredible panel today to honor this groundbreaking film. This is so exciting. <laughs> now, I wish I could go back and tell my 20-year-old self who was sitting in the movie theater so excited to watch this film that I would be up on stage with all of these incredible panelists today. But before we get started, someone couldn't be here and we have to thank the maker himself. So we have a short video from the maker, George Lucas. <laughs> Greetings for the 20th anniversary of Attack of the Clones. Sorry, I can't be there. This is an important movie for me because it was the first film ever shot digitally. It was a big fight to get here, but at the same time, once we got the film made, now everybody's doing it digitally. And I hope you all have fun. <laughs> okay, well, we have so much to cover today, so we're going to dive right in. We have an incredible panel of guests, so please give a huge round of applause to Anthony Daniels. This audience incredible. Yes. Here, let's have a seat. They're all here to honor you and your incredible accomplishment 20 years ago. We have so much to cover today. And Anthony, I'm going to start with you. Because this film brought you and George Lucas and the cast and crew back to Tunisia. <laughs> Tell us about going back there. Absolutely right. Um, it had been how many years, I can't remember. But there, suddenly, we were on the homestead, the, the big planet that uh, we first met, Luke and the twin sons and all that kind of thing. 
And it was truly moving because the hole in the ground where Luke had stood and, and kind of called down to Aunt Uru and you know, went on to have the blue milk and all that kind of thing, uh, that was still there. So we were actually in the real location. And I tell you, my soul really did turn over a bit because George and I were the only people there and we kind of looked at each other and Hmm, hmm, interesting, yeah. And you, we were both a little older than we had been originally. <laughs> well, that's exciting. And for you, um, because of the difference in, in filming this movie, there was an evolution over the course of production of how C-3PO performed for the camera. So in addition to wearing the traditional suit, what other techniques were used or attempted? Well, in, in uh, episode one, uh, 3PO was a puppet, as you'll remember, made by Anakin. And in, I didn't operate it, uh, I just did the voice. So in episode two, this one, uh, I said I would like to try and be the puppet. And they gave me this whole rig. And uh, if you come to my show at 5.30 tomorrow in the other theater, you will hear all about it. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> But there I was dressed up uh, in this brilliant puppet and we, and we filmed everything. And then George kind of changed his mind and we had to go back and I did everything again in the, uh, the brown puppet, which was the gold puppet painted brown. Stay with me, it's very complicated. Um, uh, but it's an easy fix in films, you just repaint something. But I was just glad 3PO was there. And an interesting thing, though not really very good, was that the hole in the ground uh, underneath the dome, I couldn't stand up in there because it was full of water back in the original days, the, um, the water table. By episode two, we had the whole crew down in there because the water table had dropped because too many tourists had come and stayed in hotels wanting to see the original location of Star Wars. It was a, it was a, a little moment of, of global warming, I'm afraid, but it was kind of great to be back, apart from the heat, obviously. Okay, so we have to talk about your cameo in this film because after 25 years, we had the opportunity to see you in the flesh. I said to George, uh, yeah, in a, in a manner of speaking, um, I said to George, you know, it'd be great in all these movies. If I, could, I, could I show my face as, uh, as a character, you know? He pouring him, sure. <laughs> And so I went to wardrobe and they said, we don't have any costumes left, but look, there's, here's this one. You could, um, it's a soldier. And they went to a lot of effort. It was a little tied around the neck. But um, I said to Ahmed Best, I'm gonna be in this thing as well, you know, as my face. So he went and he got the last costume. The only thing was the sleeves on mine were kind of very short. And I think it was uh, Matthew, the costume assistant, said, oh, that's no problem. And he added uh, a lot of gold braid. So I started off as a regular soldier and ended up as an officer purely because of costuming. <laughs> well, I just geeked out when I saw your cameo. So it was very exciting to see you out of the suit. Now, Doug, you've spoken about when you first started on The Phantom Menace, and how George Lucas challenged you to think differently from the original trilogy. So about what new Star Wars designs could be. So how did the process of starting work on Attack of the Clones actually differ from The Phantom Menace? No, thank you. It's wonderful to be here. And you know what, when we started working on the prequels, <laughs> thank you, the, um, the designs, I mean, the direction actually took me for a complete loop because George wanted to try something new, basically establish 
the aesthetic guideline for the whole Star Wars universe. And by doing that, we went backwards in time and, you know, to make it more elegant. And so the approach was really, our first year and a half was just pure design, pure world building. So we had designed a lot of episode one, two, and three at that time. This was prior to getting the script. So when episode two came around, we actually had a good foundation for what it was. And that's when George started to think about all the actual environments. And that's where we started to fit in all the various aesthetics, all the spaceships, all the characters, all the worlds, and really start to fit it in. So if you look at the timeline, there is a logical through uh, you know, line aesthetically for all the films. And it was really terrific because I literally started designing episode two for all the scenes for his script a week after the premiere of episode one. <laughs> Oh, wow, that is very cool. Now, when Lucasfilm made Attack of the Clones, Lucas was a passionate advocate for digital cinema, as we heard, um, and everything that came with it. But as a concept artist, you traditionally worked with paper and tangible materials. So tell us about that, because how much of a digital component came into your work? Actually, there was quite a bit, but you know, for when I started working with um, George, I wanted to go with old school. So I deliberately put all the digital tools aside. I mean, it was interesting because, you know, John knows here and, you know, along with his brother Thomas, they invented Photoshop. So we actually got a test of that early in the 1990s. Photoshop. And, yes. <laughs> and we were actually, you know, converting the art department to be going digital. When I signed on to design the prequel films in 1995, I deliberately put all those tools away because I wanted to get to the heart of what Ralph McQuarrie and Joe Johnston did. So, <laughs> yeah. so yeah, literally, I, I just went back to pencil and paper for the first year and a half. And then when we started doing episode two, that's when we started to introduce more of the digital tools again. Well, uh, we have to talk about the clone design because Tamora Morrison and Daniel Logan are here with us. <laughs> and <laughs> what? Oh. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is a like a bantha. Do the, you you got to do it, Tim, like a bantha. They want, the, they want the dance. Yes! Oh, my gosh, I love it. Okay, oh well. Oh, my God. <laughs> Tamora and Daniel have both had the chance to play Boba Fett now on screen. And uh, yes, right? Very exciting. So the clone trooper was essentially a new design for Attack of the Clones. Um, can you explain how the appearance of Boba Fett's armor helped influence the clone's armor? Yeah, no, absolutely. And this was really the fun of working with George was that he had pre-planned all of this because he wanted to create the idea that Jango Fett, his armor, you know, became sort of the evolution for the stormtroopers. And so I literally took Jango Fett in his armor and basically kept the original design that Joe Johnson and Ralph McQuarrie did. And then we started to blend it towards the classic Stormtrooper helmet that we saw in the original trilogy. And so if you look at the phase one trooper, you'll see that it has the T-visor shape, but then we start to introduce that downward mouth for the, uh, the, 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 the troopers. And that was deliberate to sort of plant the seed that the evolution of those troopers kind of grew into that. And then when you look at the phase two trooper, you can see more elements of the classic troopers coming into the helmet design. 
That's awesome. And there are so many amazing clone troopers we've seen here this weekend. If you are dressed as a clone trooper, please stand up. We want to see your armor. Just right there. There you yeah. yeah, we got one right Hard here. To stand up. Lots of clone troopers. Yes. <laughs> Captain Rex. <laughs> I love it. Okay, Tamora Morrison. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes, I, I got a funny story. Yeah, I want to hear it. Uh, this guy wouldn't stop talking through the whole um, Attack of the Clones movie. <laughs> I think he had bird seed for breakfast or something. <laughs> but we had so much fun, you know, we had to play the father and something. But I remember one scene uh, when Obi-Wan came to visit, check out his army. And I'm doing that, Boba, Boba Fett, pack your bags, we, we gotta leave. And I'm looking at the monitor, cause George, in New Zealand, we don't even have monitors, but George has had this big, huge monitor so I could see the shots. And I could see it was kind of a mid shot. And I'm thinking, hmm, Boba, pack your gears, we're leaving. It's the end of the scene. And I'm thinking, maybe it's a bit too wide. Maybe I should suggest to George that he needs a close up right there. But I thought I'd better not. <laughs> you did, you didn't want to give George for the direction? job and let's not lead George to his directing thing. So two, three months later, I get a phone call. Tim, they need you to go to England to do some pickups on Attack of the Clones. And I live in New Zealand. So I flew all the way to England, 24, 26 hours. The next day I got up, went to work. I put all my gears on and I had to walk in and say, Boba, pack your gears. <laughs> And they went, thank you. And that was it. You should have said something. I said, can I do take two just since I flew all this way? So I went, <laughs> Boba, pack your gears. We're leaving. Thank you. But yes, it was just, it was a wonderful, uh, it's been a wonderful privilege to be involved with the family and uh, and even working with you and McGregor back in that time, I was very nervous. It was my first day, and he turned up with his mean uh, Jedi, cool. He's so cool, he, and, he, and he, he doesn't do too much. He's very cool. And man, we saw it on Obi Wan up here last night, and just how his performance has matured. And um, so I was trying to outcool him, <laughs> but I think he got the better of me. It was my first day, and I was a little bit on edge. But yeah, we had great fun, eh, Dan? Me and Danny had a lot of fun too. They're driving our spaceship. Watch out, watch out, yes. Watch out. Yeah. Well, I, I think you're kind of answering my first question. But, you know, you have been an accomplished actor. But take us back to the year 2000. You just commenced, you know, uh, principal photography for Attack well, I, of the Clones. I, I did have hair back then, so uh, <laughs> I missed that. And I was really enjoying the movie up until that Mace Windu guy turned up. I, I, in fact, I didn't see the end of the movie. <laughs> I think Boba's got, he's top of the list anyway for Boba Fett. Mace Windu's top of the list. The assassination list I'm talking about. Well, clearly you didn't have any fun at all filming Star Wars, did you? From the moment I had to try on the costume, I was just going, ooh, this is cool, yeah, ooh, this is cool, man, look at these guns. 
until my first day when I was doing the fight scene. And then I'm breathing. Now I can't see anything. It's all fogged up. And now I can't hear anything because of the helmet. And I'm standing there going, I'm sure they've said action and I'm standing here looking like an idiot. Then I almost fell off the stage a couple of times because I couldn't see anything, but yes. Oh, I had so much fun, so much fun. I, I, I think I killed George, I keep singing too much. Well, I loved watching you and Daniel perform together. So tell us about the scene. You know, you're in the cockpit, you're staring at just a blue screen. So tell us about working together and just using your imagination. Well, you need a little bit of that, yes, because we're not actually in a real ship. You only got something, actually, you didn't even have a handle, I don't think, right? No. There we are. All that came in later, but anyway, you got to sort of go like this. <laughs> Shall I try that again, George? Do something, boy, do something. Push the button. Oh my God. Yes. Damn, yes. But then I thought about Clint Eastwood. I always thought, what would Clint Eastwood do? And he'd do nothing. Oh my gosh. So who had more fun, you or Daniel? Daniel, 100%. <laughs> He's like my dad. Daniel, now you talk. Hurry up, boy. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yes, dad. Um, <laughs> we both had an amazing amount of fun. I mean, um, we had different funds. When I was around him, I had to behave, kind of. And uh, when I got to play off with you, and then it was a different kind of fun. But yeah, it was, it was an amazing time. Lucasfilm are just wonderful. And as you see the type of people you can work with, you can see the type of environment that the workplace would be like, as you know. I still miss my hair. <laughs> <laughs> so do I. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay, well... I, I, I have some extra hair if you want to borrow any. <laughs> so... <sighs> honor Jeremy Bullock for a moment oh. because he since what a wonderful gentleman he was a pure gentleman loved his English uh, cricket and all the culture and he he was such a pleasure to be with and fun him and Maureen were very close friends of ours the Fitz used to hang out quite a bit so uh, yeah we miss him dearly so uh, God bless his soul moi mai etarangatira Sleep the long sleep. The, the universe is truly not the same with um, the family members that we've lost. And so, you know, Jeremy just did such an amazing job representing Boba Fett. And talk to us about, did you really try to honor him with the precedent that he set? Did you pay attention to his performance or did you get a chance to meet him before you donned the suit? Um, or when did you meet him throughout the process? 
I think I met Jeremy many, many years later on these uh, on the convention circuit, but um, we had a lot of fun on the conventions too because he was quite a sporty guy. So I always used to say, who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and, and of course, look, he, he set up um, more so with the, uh, with the Boba Fett series that I've just done. You know, he was responsible for, you know, for all that mysteriousness and all that... Uh, stuff that we didn't actually see him do too much of, but you know, he set it all up, so yeah, we have to pay respect. And he set up the kudos that we're receiving today. So um, God bless you, Jeremy. Yeah, he's with us today anyway, with us in spirit. Now, Daniel Logan. Hey. <laughs> How do I go after that one? Well, Daniel Logan's boring. We see what the better clone is. <laughs> I, have, I have a funny story for you. Yeah. So I had the pleasure to meet Daniel and actually several of the team up here at Disney Star Wars Weekends. Did anyone go to Star Wars Weekends? And I just remember Daniel, one of my first times I met him, we got to do this motorcade down Hollywood Boulevard at Disney. And, you know, they told us, they're like, do not jump out of your cars. Stay in your cars, just wave to the crowd. And we get out, and Daniel jumps out of his car and is just running around it. <laughs> <laughs> High-fiving everyone. Um, and I just always loved your energy. And so yesterday, all of a sudden, we're, we're in the autograph area, and I hear these poles just clanking and falling. And I look <laughs> over, and it's your son. had <laughs> knocked down all of the poles. And I was like, yep, that's Daniel's son. Yep. <laughs> I picked him up in hopes that no one saw him. And I mean, could try to walk away really quickly, but obviously he saw. Dang it. Uh, yeah, my son... He's just like me, but more ADHD and uh, a lot more energy. He's, he's my uh, kryptonite. He started to steal my energy. No, so. I, I share that because we love your energy. Thank you are you. such a light and such an amazing member of our Star Wars family. <laughs> You're like, hang out with him enough, you won't see the light. <laughs> Okay, now I want to ask you, take us all the way back, because being a New Zealander, um, you were very excited to work with Tamora Morrison. Do you recall your earliest impressions of meeting him? And I guess be nice, because he's sitting right next to you. <laughs> uh, no, you know what, actually, I, um, the thing is that most people don't realize, but when you come from a place like New Zealand, in the time when I was growing up, there wasn't any other New Zealanders, especially people from the Maori descent, that had ever achieved something that Tim Witter Morrison had achieved at the time when I was at my most influential. So I only just realized that since, you know, over the last couple of years that he actually gave me someone to identify that I could possibly become or someone that I would aspire to be. So when I met him, I had no clue who Ewan McGregor was or George Lucas or anybody else. The only person I wanted to meet was Tim Whittam Morrison because he's the only person I knew. So people say, well, you did an amazing job with young Boba Fett, but it was a collective effort from all of the adults that were helping me in the scenes that I was working with, but especially Tim. Like we made a joke about the, um, the asteroid scene. You know, I'd sit in my little seat back there in the cockpit. He's like, all right, son, you ready? We're going to go flying. 
they gave us this TV, you know, he'd be like, all right, we're gonna, you know, move to the left, and we both moved to the left, you know, and I'd say, Elijah's like, oh, come on, you can do that better, <laughs> do it like this, I'm like, all right, at cool, I just remember him saying that to me all the time, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I love him, I mean, I've said many times when he said that, you know, you call me dad and I'll call you son, it was really the reason why that father and son bond was really so strong, really because of him. But nowadays, everyone always asks me if he's my real damn father. <laughs> I never knew my father most of my life. You know, he was, he was somewhere else and could possibly be. I mean, New Zealand only had two million people. <laughs> so I never discredit it, you know? Like, I don't know. It's an island, island life. <laughs> I remember, Ashley, we were looking for little Bobo because they decided to cast me, so I had to drive, uh, was it Robin Gerland? Robin Gerland, yeah. I had to drive Robin around New Zealand to try and find a little Bobo. And we were racing down south of Auckland, I was going a little bit fast, and I noticed a cop car did a U-turn to chase us. And I'm with Robin Gerland, I'm saying, hmm, I think that cop car's chasing us. <laughs> yes, I think it is chasing us. So he pulled us over, the cop come up to the window, do you realize how fast you're going, sir? I went, do you know who this is? This is Robin Gerland. She's casting for Star Wars. This is your lucky day, officer. <laughs> I could get you a part in this movie, officer. <laughs> and he still gave me a ticket. <laughs> but anyway, we found the little Boba eventually. Thank God he did, or I wouldn't be young Boba Fett. <laughs> they were like some... 25-year-old man playing young Boba Fett. Well, he let me off the ticket. I had to give him the role. <laughs> but we still, I mean, I loved him. I can call him anytime, and he'll always be there for me, and he really has become like my father. I didn't grow up with one, like I said, for most of my life. I was adopted later on in life, but Tim became my father, and he would call my house. I have six siblings, and my mom raised us all, so she told us, if your father calls, just hang up the phone. So my father calls. Hey, is my son there? <laughs> my sister hangs up the phone on him. He had to call back. <laughs> Damn it. Well, she learned. She knew what my mom told us. Like, this is a Star Wars dad, Timberwetta Morrison. <laughs> Remember how famous he is? My sister was like, oh my gosh, Timberwetta Morrison? Daniel, where are you? Like, oh, hey, dad, how you doing? Like, oh, you think you're fancy now? You got a dad? Uh, that's enough about us, I think, yes. <laughs> Let's move on a bit. Let's move on to... Um, <laughs> oh <my>. Well, <laughs> you all obviously have a very, very close bond. So, <laughs> tell me about that fateful scene where you had to pick up Django's helmet. How did George Lucas prepare you for that scene? Because that scene is devastating. It was the greatest scene in Clo an Attack of the Clones. Well, it was great. <laughs> Not for me. No. Yeah. Greatly devastating. So that's the only part I ever watch over and over. I'm like, now I'm the baddest bounty hunter in the galaxy. Peace out, Django. <laughs> Not realizing I'm a damn clone donor of this guy. So he obviously goes back to be Boba Fett. <laughs> Dang it. No, actually. It's a big moment. It's a big that, moment. So, that was the only time I ever got to touch the Django Fett helmet, by the way. It was always stuck on your head. You didn't share it much, but... So what happened was, George actually forgot about this scene. And he didn't... Uh, 
we only had like me, him, and like a, a camera, one camera guy or something. There wasn't many people. And George, I was just getting out of my wardrobe, and he comes in the wardrobe room. He's like, where's my Boba Fett? And they're like, well, somewhere around here. He has a sort of like collectibles. So I had to get back into the, into my armor. And uh, as I'm getting back in, he grabs the Jango Fett helmet. We walk into the arena scene. And as I do, he grabs a helmet and he goes, okay, I'm going to need you to crouch down and put one, uh, put the helmet to your head as softly as you can. But when you get about here, kind of nod on the helmet. Well, as I'm in my 30s now, I can see why he was kneeling on one knee when he told me to do it. And I kind of did it like I'm taking a number two. Uh, <laughs> 13, you know, my knees are really strong at that age. Bounce right back. So I didn't know that he got his head chopped off. So we went to the premiere and it was like that. Oh, everyone was like speechless when Django Fett got his head chopped off and we went together and I'm the only one who went, yes! <laughs> Not knowing what George had done. I'm like, man, I'm gonna be in episode three. I hit the jackpot. <laughs> hey, they gave me a Lego game. They gave me a Lego game thanks to Matt Wood and his magnificent talents. But so yeah, that's how I found out that my dad got his head chopped off. So I was hoping one of us would come back in episode three. And it was this guy as another clone. I could listen to the two of you talk all day. You're a show. They're a show. <laughs> I have the best clone though. I have a clone, her name's Omega. We still all got to try to figure out how she came from him and became part of me or somewhat whatever You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you guys. Yeah, you know what I'm saying All right. Well John Noel, I have some questions for you Whoa. So yes No, at the time of Attack of the Clones, uh, was it was a huge blockbuster feature, but it wasn't, you know, with the digital camera system, there was some questions in Hollywood. So uh, kind of being there on the front lines, being there every day, what was your take on digital cinema? Uh, well, we'd been working with digital images for quite a while at, at that point. It's just that they'd originated on film and we scanned them, but. As soon as they were scanned, the process was identical. Um, and in the still photography world, digital cameras were already a thing. And they were starting to be better and better and uh, pretty competitive with film cameras and better in some ways. Uh, so I was pretty enthusiastic about the whole idea of uh, uh, switching to digital cinema for shooting. Um, it was... Uh, in theory, it's lower resolution than, than film, but one of the things that we discovered was that you could see things more clearly with the digital cameras, even given that, that you know, technically it was lower resolution. Like uh, the first day we were shooting a, a close-up of Palpatine in the, uh, in the Senate, and <clears throat> he was sort of head and shoulders type shot on the, the monitor, and we had to pull the makeup people over and, and uh, and we were all looking at, uh, at the image on the screen thinking, this is like doing an ultra close-up. So everybody had to uh, fine tune their craft based on how the imagery was being seen. Art department had to uh, put a little more attention to uh, small details into the set pieces because you could 
You could see faux finishes on sets. We had to put more detail into the models uh, because you could see all that with the digital cameras in a way that you couldn't on film. Well, like The Phantom Menace before it, this movie was one of the most ambitious visual effects productions truly ever undertaken. Now, it's interesting to remember that Attack of the Clones featured both cutting-edge technology but also practical miniatures. So what were the benefits of combining these new and traditional approaches? Well, I'm, you know, my background is uh, miniatures and motion control photography, so I, I still have a deep passion in my heart for uh, those, those practical effects. So um, I always will jump at a chance to build miniatures and include them in the work. And um, as a practical matter, it helped us load balance too, because uh, there's work that can be done um, or that should be done digitally and there's work that should be done practically. And then there's a, a bunch of work that uh, can probably go either way. And um, I tried to, to balance the workload. So we kept a bunch of stuff going through the model shop and our stages and we kept things that really needed to be computer graphics going through the computer graphics department. Uh, but it, a lot of this was about uh, just trying to get that huge volume of work through. So you used every tool you had available. And yeah, I, God, I love these models. That, that Geonosis Arena was a spectacular bit of sculpture. It's beautiful. Now, visual effects movies will often have one or two complex scenes. This movie had many. <laughs> Tell us about one of your favorite, you know, huge sequences from Attack of the Clones. Uh, well, the Geonosis Arena was really a fun one. It, um, uh, there was sort of an unfortunate side effect of my electing to want to do that with miniatures and that um, uh, the sequence sort of grew and was a little bigger than, than what I'd expected. Uh, but I'd already committed to building this miniature for the whole thing. Then we got the cut and it was, uh, I don't know, 300 shots or something. And uh, you know, when you're shooting an element like this, you can shoot about maybe two, two elements a day. And if you think about 300 shots and two elements a day, there isn't enough time to get that done in our post-production period. So um, we had built the miniature in 45 degree pie wedges, so it could be taken apart, uh, actually for camera access. But what we ended up doing was we took all the shots that we're looking in this direction and we gave that to one crew. Then I had another crew shooting the other direction. And then we had a third crew shooting um, on one of those at night. So um, yeah, I had to have uh, crews running day and night to be able to shoot all the elements of this. Wow, that is amazing. Well, it Matthew, what? Oh, no, please. Oh, I thought you were giving us more information. <laughs> Well, Matthew Wood, now you are credited as a supervising sound director. Yeah. <laughs> That's the next movie. <laughs> yeah. Now, you also had the opportunity to work outside of that role on this film. Can you discuss your involvement in the shooting of video elements for use in the movie's pre-visualization sequences? Oh yeah, so episode two was a, a huge film for us at Skywalker Ranch. I mean, 
we were really happy with how Phantom Menace did, and then this was, you know, there was a whole lot of firsts happening. George Lucas always liked to pioneer technology, so he really, a lot of the crazy ideas we'd have for uh, shooting video or any audio ideas, he really just backed financially, so we had a lot of um, opportunity to use the latest tools. But Ben Burt, who's my mentor and the creator of all the original sounds, the Star Wars uh, projects, this was my first, I was in my 20s, and it was my first time to work with him directly as a co-supervisor. There he is right there, the legend. Uh, he's a director, you know, he was trained as a filmmaker at USC, just like George Lucas, and he, we did a lot of animatic sequences at the ranch where we would try to conceive and really be able to hone in on the shots that were needed once principal photography started. So he had me go down to the archives with him one day with his daughter, and we did the entire speeder chase on and the Coruscant Underworld, and I played Anakin, and my friend Steve, yeah, look at that. <laughs> that is awesome. Look at, my hair's different too. That's so weird how that happens in 20 years. But yeah, we were in the original, uh, I, I didn't know there was a photo of that. There's an original uh, spe uh, you know, speeder from New Hope that I got to sit in, so it was a complete dream as a kid to be able to sit in there. And then we did the whole scene, and you know, it's funny because when I saw, I think it was, I saw, it was either Ewan or Hayden, I can't remember which one, when I was doing my ADR recording with them later on in the process, which is like a year after shooting, they kept looking at me going like, gosh, I feel like I've, have you been doing movies or have you, I feel like I've seen you in something. I feel like there was something, and it's because when they shot the principal photography for the speeder chase, they had a monitor on the end of the speeder that was showing the exact shots that we had done in animatics, and George was like, just do that. Just do that. <laughs> so every time, you know, it was like I, 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 this little like home video that we shot became the template for how they made the speeder chase, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> and I was also mortified because I never thought that that would be seen by the actual actors in the movie. But this is the kind of stuff that, you know, the spirit of George Lucas and, and not really pigeonholing anybody into one particular job was a dream for me. It was like going to film school working on these, these films. And I had so much exposure to every level of the production process and uh, it, I'll treasure the prequel time like immensely. I met so many amazing artists and people along the way. And then in the sound world, you know, we had George Lucas trusted Ben Burt so much that we had carte blanche to kind of create this whole universe audio wise in the films however we wanted and he really trusted our input on that. And so we had crazy things like, you know, in the speeder chase we had the uh, sonic charges, which everyone really loves, the prang. <laughs> The big sound there. Uh, and that was just born out of like, we were just trying to find a sound for the initial explosion. There was like a, it kind of had a little poof that happened first that sucked back into the, the ar artillery and then it blew up again. And we, we kept going over different things we could put for that little poof over and over. And Ben Burt's library, of course, as you would imagine, is hundreds of thousands of sounds. We we're just kind of picking through stuff. And at one point the idea came through like, why don't we just do nothing? Let's have nothing be in that little thing. So we, the absence of sound, really brought that moment together and, and made it very unique sounding to the point of even when we released the film, people thought the QC department that goes through and everyone, you know, meticulously checks these movies before they go out to the public, thought there was an actual error in the film. They're like, there's a dropout. There's a dropout in the show. The, the audio goes away. The audio goes away for like a second. I'm like, it's, it's okay. We meant to do that. And it, and it became something of a signature that we did in Star Wars and the subsequent films of that absence of sound and and, and building that thing. And that's something that like the experimental nature of George, I was always grateful for, because he let us do it. He's like, yeah, sounds great. You know, and there was no, <laughs> you know, fighting it or no, like, why did you do this? And a whole, you know, 15 people to weigh in all on it. It was just George, you know, and, and I, I'm really grateful of that time. You know, when I work on a picture like this, uh, I'm, I'm looking at it 
silent in a theater, just look, concentrating on visuals. And, uh, uh, but you can't help while you're working on it to, to think about, um, boy, I can't wait to hear what this is going to sound like. And uh, you know, for me, I'm always really grateful to uh, Matt and his team because it makes the visuals look better. Yeah. They, they, they really sell it in a way that you feel like you're seeing more detail in the imagery than probably there really is. It really works complimentary too, because we'll do the same thing in the sound playback when it's the final time we're gonna show the, the audio to George. We always make sure we have the latest and greatest picture and it's all been color timed and perfect because we wanna make sure it looks as good as it can because that'll affect the way it sounds. And that's definitely, George Lucas does like to talk about sound as 50% of your experience in the theater and he really gave us the time and budget and care to do that, which I'm forever grateful for. And you know, Kathy Kennedy's even extended that into the new film. So I'm very happy that that legacy, he, George always considered himself a sound guy. So that was always, have, have an advocate in our corner that was the director and, and to come from the legacy of Ben Bird and what he created is, was an absolute dream. Now you got to go to Australia and yeah. like record sounds with Ben Bird. Yes. So tell us about that trip. Well, Australia was a major component in th this was the first film we did it. I think it was because it was Leaveston, right, for Phantom Menace. So yeah, we got to go to Sydney Studios there, uh, Fox Studios, and they had just wrapped Moulin Rouge, which was one of my favorite films. And the sets, some of the sets were still up. Um, and so we got to come in right after that, and I, yeah, I was kind of ensconced there in Sydney for a while, and, and Ben Burt was cutting the picture, so he was sort of locked down on the production side, or he, in, in, the, in the production area on set, and so I went out on adventures all over Australia, up into the northern Queensland area, into the rainforest, down into Melbourne to record, like, penguins, and I, you know, that's the wonderful thing that they gave me so many opportunities to do, and in Australia, you know, from a Northern American California, that's very far away, and it's like, you literally feel like you're on the opposite side of the world, and, and uh, I think the water even goes the different way down the drain. But uh, I, it, it, it was so um, inspiring, that, that, that location, and uh, just the, the amount of sound effects that went into creating the Geonosians and all the creatures in, the, uh, in that arena battle, and, and uh, the underworld of uh, Coruscant was the first time we saw that. So all of that goes in, and you never really plan, like, this particular sound is going to be that thing, but just acquiring all these sounds. You know, one of the examples I use is we have a, I recorded a fruit bat in a sanctuary fighting over a banana with another fruit bat, and that became the core components of what the Geonosians sound like. So it's a lot of funny, That's and so cool. penguin mating, mixed with penguin mating calls from, from Melbourne. So yeah, a lot, a lot of that, and it's all organic stuff that you, rec you record in the, in the world. And Ben Burt would take that back. And when we got to Skywalker Ranch to start the post-production, we had this giant palette of things to work with from Australia, which really was inspiring. That's amazing. Now, speaking of um, sounds, we get to hear your voice a lot as some iconic characters in Star Wars. But um, tell us about the characters that you did in Attack of the Clones. Oh, uh, that, well, yeah. So George, I, I was an actor. I was doing, I was at the uh, uh, American Conservatory Theater in San Francisco. I was taking as many classes as I could and being in plays. And George always would let me do various characters. And that's the kind of thing, having an open door policy to, to acting. So a lot of the creatures, I think I, played some of the guy, uh, gosh, what, oh, yeah, it was the first time I did a battle droid, because the, the battle droids now were no longer connected to the droid control ship, so their voices had changed to be a little less powerful, because they were all, 
really bad CPU processors that are in there that are on mass produced, so that's why they all sounded kind of like, look out, Roger, Roger, you know, that kind of. <laughs> and and I, I love our scene together with the, uh, the 3PO with the, when the droid head gets replaced and all that. So that, that um, so yeah, he just let us do those kind of things, droids, creatures, uh, Saboka, a bunch of people that uh, almost run into Obi-Wan during the speeder chase and some various Gungans. And it was a lot of that kind of fun stuff. And it certainly opened up doors for me later on in the next subsequent films. But that was sort of the inception of George letting me act in a lot of the, a lot of the movies. Awesome. Well, okay, I'm going to throw out a couple questions to all of you. Um, starting with Doug and Tamora. So there were some really epic fight scenes in this movie. And I know you have some favorite moments with Hugh McGregor and Hayden Christensen um, that they worked on as well with you. So, man, if only they were here to talk about it with us. Um, that Attack of the Clones. <laughs> okay, well, now that you're here, as I was asking, let's talk about that epic fight scene on Camino. You got really, really wet. It was really epic. Tell us what it was like filming that amazing fight scene. Yeah, it's so it's such a distant memory now. I remember like I don't know if it was it took days or weeks. I don't remember. I remember. I remember. Oh yeah, here it is. <laughs> I don't really remember very much about it. <laughs> <laughs> Doug, tomorrow, what do you remember? Um, I remember seeing my double eating all the biscuits, <laughs> and I was getting wet. So I thought maybe I should be eating the biscuits and the double can get wet. Yeah. But yeah, I, I was telling the, the crowd earlier, I was very nervous on my first day working with you when you came to see the army and you were so cool and very, you know, didn't do much. You were just stillness, stillness was so powerful. So I was telling the crowd, I was trying to out cool you, but it never worked, it never worked. <laughs> I, rem I mean, I remember the, the rain and the, it was tough. It was tough to do, but we had great help. I, I started working with Nash Edgerton, who's Joel Edgerton's brother. He's a filmmaker now and a, he's an actor and um, he's a very good director, but he, but he was a stunt double and he was my stunt double in Moulin, in Moulin Rouge. And um, I did have many stunts in Moulin Rouge, really. I don't. I can't actually remember if there were any, but he was my stunt double in Moulin Rouge. And then he, because we were in the same studio and literally 
we went so over schedule on Moulin Rouge that they came in with bulldozers and bull, you know, Star Wars came in with bulldozers to take our sets down to get theirs up in time for us to start shooting. It was really back to back. And um, Nash came on to, to, to be my stunt double and he did amazing work. And there, there is a story that he's told me during this fight in the rain where he had to do a jump, a flip over the top of you. So it's like a, an aerial move over the top. And I don't do that kind of thing, not even then. <laughs> but, but he did, and, and his mum was there visiting, and she was sitting over in, this, in the corner of the set. And when they did the flip, something went wrong, and, he, and he, hurt, he hurt himself, and he broke his front teeth. And he looked over at his mum, and he went, I'm fine, I'm fine. <laughs> and he made a little signal to the stunt guy who took his mum away, because he didn't want his mum to see that he'd really hurt himself, you know? But um, it's, he's, he's really in good shape now, Nash. He looks great. <laughs> he's got lovely teeth, you know. <laughs> so I remember that about it. <laughs> I remember, I mean, I, mean, I mainly remember our scene in the doorway. That's, what, that's the story I remember. Have you told that story? Yeah, no, but you stole that story here. To tell it. I, I've told it, yeah, before. Did you tell it in this room? Not yet, no. Okay. Shall I tell it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, we want to hear it. The, 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 George, when I come to their door, to the first time I meet you and you open the door, George wanted you to look sort of suspicious of me, you know? And you were only we. How old were you when we did that? Yeah, 13. 13. So, you know, we did a few takes and George was like, I wasn't quite, get it more suspicious. And I just <laughs> leant down to him and I went, when I open the door, act like I've done a terrible fart. <laughs> and, and he went, oh, and I said, just try it. So in the next take, you know, he opened the door and he looked at me and he went. <laughs> <laughs> and it totally worked. <laughs> oh, moving on. You weren't method acting though in that oh. scene? No. no, I couldn't help him for real, but. <laughs> These are the stories we want to hear, trust me. <laughs> well, Hayden, and nice to meet you, Sky Guy. Yeah, th thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I, I'm, I'm taking Tamora's advice to just act cool right now. <laughs> but, okay, I want to talk about some of your epic fight scenes because this was your first Star Wars movie. So how much training did you have to do to look so cool with your lightsaber? Um, and we recently saw some photos from Vanity Fair of you looking very cool practicing with your lightsaber. So <laughs> how much training did you do for this film? Yeah, there was, there was uh, quite a bit of, of lightsaber training. And for me, that was always like the most fun. Um, you know, we, we flew out to Australia where we filmed probably two months before we started filming. And, uh, and we went to, Jedi training camp, and it was like the most fun you can imagine. Um, and and our amazing stunt coordinator Nick Gillard, 
uh, yeah, whose, whose contribution to the prequels, just, you know, you can't say enough about it, um, was just, you know, incredible at what he did and, and sort of made it not only fun, but, but really easy. Uh, and, and, you know, these fights are, are choreographed like elaborate dances and you just sort of learn where your feet are supposed to go and, and, uh, and you, you, you know, you learn it in sections and you sort of take it bit by bit. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, that was sort of, you know, where Ewan and I got to spend a lot of time together and, and sort of form our, our early bond and just, just so much fun. <laughs> Well, so that's my next question, because y'all have the most epic bromance. And, <laughs> and tell us about forming that bond. Yes, look at that. I mean, Ewan, that mullet is on point. And Hayden. People said that I brought the mullet back, you know? <laughs> I don't think it ever left. Hey, Hayden, the rat tail's sexy too. It's, yeah. yeah I, I always like that little Padawan braid. <laughs> so how did you all form your brotherly bond, but also the master and apprentice bond? I, I, I think, you know, sort of both aspects of, of that relationship just came very naturally. Uh, for me, the sort of the, the, the master apprentice aspect you know, um, I, I just, I, I really looked up to you and, and, and that, you know, that, that I think sort of lent itself to the work and, and Ewan was, was so gracious with me and kind of took me under his wing and, and that was just kind of how our relationship started. And then of course the, the friendship sort of evolved and, and that also came very naturally. Yeah. I mean, we, we just, first, we just got on really straight away, you know. And um, we spent a lot of time, like we talked about, in, in the fight, I would say fight club, in the fight gym. <laughs> and um, that's, a really, that's a really good way to get to know somebody. You know, you, to fight with each other, you have to really trust each other because you can't, you can't get it wrong. You have to trust each other not to make the wrong move because you can hurt each other, you know. In those days we were fighting with metal, the lightsabers were made of metal, I don't know, some kind of alloy, I can't remember what it was. It's aluminum tubing, like yeah. a C-stand arm. But by the time we finished each take, the, 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 the lightsabers were bent, you know, because you really have sort of full contact with each other. So if you get that wrong, you can hurt each other. So you have to have the level of trust and, and we start, that's sort of where we started working together was in, in, that, in that fight gym with Nick, you know, with Nick Gillard. And, um, but also we just were away, we were in Australia and we were away from home and so we spent a lot of time together offset as well and just got, you know, we were close. <laughs> well. <laughs> so this question is gonna be for all of you. Um, and we'll start here with both uh, Hayden and you. And, and first of all, I have to say, this is a spoiler free zone, but congratulations on Kenobi. <laughs> but 
you know, we're honoring Attack of the Clones, and we're really honoring the maker, George Lucas himself. And you all have had the chance to work with George Lucas and now continue on the Star Wars legacy. Um, tell us about working with George Lucas on this film, and how have you carried on what he taught you um, or his influence into your work today? Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, getting getting to work with George Lucas uh, and and follow his lead and and just help him bring this character to life was easily the the greatest honor of my professional career. Um, and I, you know, I guess I I always felt like he just gave me this amazing gift in this character, and I, I've I've always felt a bit indebted to him. Um, and that has sort of turned into, you know, now coming back, I, I feel uh, a real responsibility towards him and, and to sort of honor what he's created uh, because it, it just is so remarkable, you know, as, as you all can attest to. What about you, I go? Yeah, I mean, what George, I, d I don't even know if, if George can describe what he created you know it's it's his world he made us this world that when i was seven years old changed our life changed our lives you know thank you it's yeah. true changed our lives and and we still we still want more stories told inside this world because we love it and we understand it and we love it and I, I also like working with George. I, I, I had some moments with George. When you got to make George laugh, he can really go, you know? And like he, you know, he's very like business-like most of the time, but sometimes you can crack him with a laugh and he just goes like, and it's, those are my favorite moments to remember about George, when he just couldn't stop laughing, you know? Well, uh, one of my favorite moments, you just reminded me, you were seven, I was, I don't know how old, but there, <laughs> still don't, but there we were in a scene, and suddenly you're saying, I can't believe I'm in a scene with C-3PO, and uh, it's not your accent, yeah. uh, and I'm thinking, I can't believe I'm in a scene with you. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely true. But one of the things uh, endeared me to George was uh, normally on, on these films, I would arrive fully suited up for the first impact, it, as it were, on the crew and everybody around. And several times I heard George say, now Star Wars has arrived. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, only because you know, 3PO was one of the first images that you saw in the first, you know, sound and sound you heard. Because George did obviously create this, what has become known as his enormous sandbox, which has given us the opportunity to work in, mm -hmm. and you, all of you, the opportunity to play in and belong to and belong to each other. And I think that is one of his really great legacies. Yeah. Anthony, I, I, you're very humble, but you have been here from the beginning. And I think Anthony Daniels deserves a huge round of applause.
Well, we are actually officially out of time, but this was <laughs> the most amazing panel. It's been my absolute honor to be your host and moderator today, but I think a lot of people in the audience would just love the most epic group photo. So would you mind standing up, coming together for a group photo? Everyone get your cameras ready. And look at this incredible group of people.